Psalm 94. O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, O Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. They say, God does not see. The God of Jacob pays no heed. Take heed, you senseless ones amongst the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplined nations not punish? Does he who teaches man lack knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. You grant them relief from the days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will not forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, My foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, one that brings on misery by its decrees? They band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. Are you ever worried because you're in a muddle? I don't mean in your house because the rooms are untidy. There are some people congenitally able to live with untidy rooms. There are other people who find it uh, rather troublesome for them. But I'm not thinking about that kind of muddle. I'm thinking about our minds when our thoughts get all muddled up. I just don't know what to think, we say. 
I can't seem to sort myself out. It's a very common anxiety. It happens to all of us sometimes and some people often. I want you to look with me at Psalm 94 and at verse 19. Psalm 94 and verse 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. This is the testimony of a man who had been anxious. But now he is comforted. He has consolation. Now the reason why we had a muddle up about which psalm we were going to read tonight is because last week we began a series on Psalm 93 verse 1 which reads the Lord reigns and over this week and the next couple of weeks we're going to look at some of these psalms under the main theme that the Lord reigns. He is the king. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke often about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a place, it's a realm where the Lord reigns where his people are conscious that they're saying, Lord, reign in me. Now this text tonight is a reminder that such a concept that the Lord's sovereignty means that he reigns over me is very practical that helps us in some very everyday ways. I don't know if you have any pictures. Oh, you do have a picture in front of you. It's not in front of me here. That's why I wasn't sure you had it. This is a, uh, just a reminder of the kind of thing that happens to us sometimes when our worries get so great that we're scratching our head and we don't know what to do and we don't know where to go. These are the sort of things that are the psalmist is saying about here when anxiety was great within me. But the Bible is very, very helpful. And this psalm, and I want you to look through it with me uh, this evening for a while, this psalm is going to help us because it makes a distinction between two different things. Things which are very, very important to us. It shows us that the worries, the anxieties, are in his mind. But look at the text, because it says that the consolation is in his soul. That's the distinction in this psalm, and that's really the key to all we're going to look at tonight. That when we are anxious in our thoughts and our minds, the Bible says, think about your soul. It's the soul that settles the mind. Now, I don't know whether you've ever found preachers making things sound so simple that you go away saying, yeah, but he doesn't live where I live. He doesn't know what I know. He doesn't face what I face. You see, we could take a text out of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, do not worry. There you are, that's the end of it. I send you all home saying, do not worry. There's another text in the New Testament, in the letter of Peter, where he says to Christians, cast all your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. And that again would be a good thing for us to think about, our responsibility to cast our anxieties upon him. But we know, 
and experience of the psalmist here is that it's not that easy. It's not that simple. It's not that straightforward because these mind things, these thoughts are building up and becoming great within us. So we're going to look very simply at the two halves of the text. First of all, at his anxieties and then at his consolation. Let's start with his anxieties, when anxiety was great within him. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the fact that these anxieties are within him. They're his own. They're things that are inside of him and his mind. Inward troubles are really the worst, aren't they? You can get a lot of sympathy if you come to church on crutches with your leg in plaster. But if you've had a terrible week and somebody you know has got into awful trouble and their fall has been weighing upon you as a great anxiety, you can't very well display that in the same way. And yet that can be more painful, it can be more debilitating, it can be more hindrance to your work and what you're trying to do than the fact that you have your leg in plaster. Thoughts can be a serious trouble to us. There's a little verse in Proverbs that says, each heart knows its own bitterness. I don't want you to tell me after the service all your troubles and all your anxieties because I have a wife to go back to and I've got the rest of the week to worry about. You see, we have a lot of anxieties within us which are our own and very personal to us. This anxiety is within him. But we can see from the psalm that it's also something very common. It's really all about his, his thoughts. One of the other translations says, when anxious thoughts, in the multitude of my anxious thoughts, it says. And we could begin to list some of them, couldn't we? Could we think about uh, our families and uh, the fact that those who have moved away from us, they've got, still got things to face and uh, you don't ever stop being a mum, you don't ever stop being a, a dad, you still are concerned about your family. You have the, the issues of, of health that, that face us all. As a society, we are told that we are uh, facing an aging population. There are all the financial limitations of the health service. I could depress you by talking about economic uncertainty, about terrorist threats, about all kinds of things like that. All these thoughts that we have. And the psalmist says, when anxiety was great within me, he's not just having a bad day when it, it seems to be a, a bit of a problem to him. This is something great. This is something which is really intense and overwhelming to him. The anxieties all get muddled up together. Have you ever noticed when children grow a draw a tree, they draw a thick line and then the branches come out like that, don't they? Trees don't actually grow like that. I was wondering whether we could see any from here. You can probably see some out of the window better than I can. But um, when there are no leaves on the tree, and you just see the outline of a tree, you see that all the branches are, are actually crossing each other, and all the twigs and the, the smaller bits are all muddled up together like that. 
And that's the word that's used here. It means not just a lot of things, but a lot of things multiplied together. Can you turn back in your Bible just for a moment to Job chapter 4? Job is the book before Psalms. In Job chapter 4, there's a man called Eliphaz, and he's talking to Job about troubles. And he says in verse 13 of Job 4, Amid disquieting dreams in the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear and trembling seize me and made all my bones shake. It always seems worse in the night, doesn't it? When you can't go to sleep and all those things that you've been thinking about and worrying about start piling in on you more and more and it all gets so confused that you can't think straightly. That's what he's talking about here. Now the devil wants to exploit that. The devil doesn't like people to be peaceful and calm so they can get on with things. He likes them to be disturbed and, and anxious and worried so they can't do anything. And of course it can lead, to, can lead people to a very serious sin, the sin of doubting that there is a God or a God who cares for him or, or a God who's got any purpose for me at all. These are the kind of thoughts that come into us so easily. And I want you to look with me quickly at the psalm to see how this can happen to, to God's people too. It can happen to the man of God who wrote this psalm. See, there's some very poor teaching which uh, we used to hear in some pulpits at one time where they said, you become a Christian and then you rest in the Lord. Well, I know what they mean. But it isn't easy as just resting in the Lord and leaving it all to him. God has made us with minds. And if we're a Christian, he's remade us with better minds. So we do have to think about things and we do have to think about what is happening to us. Now look at the very beginning of Psalm 94. O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. There are proud people who are the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people. And the trouble is, as the psalmist says, they seem to be getting away with it. Nobody seems to be paying them back. They seem to be making a success of their proud and arrogant ways. So in verse 3, the psalmist uses that very frequent expression that comes to us, how long is this going to go on? How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words, all the evildoers are full of boasting. It's wearying, isn't it? How bad things seem to go on and on. We are moved when we see these pictures of those people in Somalia coming to the refugee camps. But we've had similar pictures before and we will have more pictures afterwards because it seems to go on and on. And we say, how long are we going to have to face these inequalities where there are some people with so much money and some people with not enough bread to eat for a day? Verse 5, they crush your people, O Lord. They oppress 
your inheritance. God's people are subject to these troubles too. It's not just it happening to other people somewhere else. Even the people of God are victims. Some of us in this church take a a Christian newspaper called Evangelicals Now. And uh, I picked up my copy this morning and had a quick look through it uh, at lunchtime today. And whenever you pick up a, a, a newspaper like that, and you read about what's happening in other parts of the world, you're struck by the fact that there are Christian people who are being badly treated just because they're Christians. Do you know there was one incident there, I don't even like to think about this, where two people were crucified. They were nailed to a cross until one of them died because they were Christians. God's people are involved in terrible trouble and and anxieties in some parts of the world. And we can't just brush it all off and say, that's happening to them somewhere else. If we really are thinking about what's happening in the world, as the psalmist is thinking about it, these thoughts are piling in upon him. We have Christians in our own community who are losing their jobs because some of them are saying, well, I can't treat the homosexual lifestyle, as if it's a valid alternative and we should teach our children that equally that's a valid thing for them to be doing. And some Christian teachers are losing their jobs because of things like that. There's a lot of problems for God's own people. Then look at verse 6. He says, They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. It's the vulnerable and the weak that seem to be exploited. Haven't there been awful scenes that we've seen of films taken in elderly care homes or homes for people with learning difficulties and the way in which they have been exploited and the way in which they have been treated? The vulnerable and the weak are those that are victims of the wickedness that goes on in the world. And look at verse 7. He says, the trouble is, these people don't care. They say the Lord doesn't see. The God of Jacob pays no heed. They have no respect for a God of authority. They don't think anybody is going to have to, they're not going to, have to answer to anybody about all this. And these thoughts, we could go on, there are more of them in the psalm, these thoughts don't come just singly, they come together, they come until the anxiety is great, they come all mixed up and confused, and anxiety is really the emotion of worry when some such thoughts are jumbled up within us and we don't know how to think and what to do. That's the first half. And it's not a very pleasant thing to look at. So we must move on to the second part. His consolation. Your consolation brought joy to my soul. Let's go back to something I said at the beginning. The psalmist says, it's the soul that settles the mind. It's not just better thoughts, it's on an entirely different level. Now, of course, there are valid psychological helps that are available to people 
who do have psychological problems. I'm not saying that that is something which we ought to despise. But we do know that there are an awful lot of books written, the power of positive thinking and these kind of things, which in fact are saying to you, pull yourself together, sort yourself out. Everybody else can do it, why can't you? Is that what the Bible says? No. The Bible says that's not the way to think about it. Other people, their answer is, you forget it all. You go away on holiday. You escape into some other realm of activity. You watch sport until you can't see the ball anymore because you've fallen asleep. You go for some sort of entertainment. Or alcohol. Or drugs. The way that people think they can forget things. Does that really work? Well, it doesn't. Because when they come through that experience, they're still facing their worries and their troubles. I don't think I knew much about Amy Whitehouse before the news last week, but it's a very sad story, isn't it? Of someone who seemed to have real talent, and yet, like some other people in that kind of field, got themselves into such bad drug habits that eventually their life came to an end prematurely. This is not the answer, is it? Now, what the Bible says is we've got to think about our soul. Now, what's the soul? A lot of people don't believe they have a soul today because they can't find it on an x-ray or even on a CT scan. Because it's not something physical, they say, well, it doesn't, uh, doesn't exist. It's just a figment of your imagination. But the Bible shows us from the beginning that when God made Adam, he didn't make him just an animal. He breathed into him a life which is a spiritual life, another dimension to his life altogether. The soul is about the real me, what my choices are, what my preferences are, what my relationship with myself is, who do I think I am? How do I relate to you? How do I relate to God? The dimension of our soul is about our spiritual relationships. Half the problem with people's worries and anxieties around us is that they don't believe they have a soul and they don't believe that has anything to do with what's happening to them. And so the Bible is saying to us, the first step in trying to sort ourselves out in all this anxiety is to say, I do have a soul. I am a soul in relation to God. What does that mean for me in this situation? How is this going to help me in what's happening to me now? Well, look at the text, because the text is is so helpful. It says, the anxieties are within me. But where does the consolation come from? Your consolation brought joy to my soul. The consolation comes from somebody else into his soul. It comes from God. Let's read from verse 16. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, 
I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. And listen to this. When I said, my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. Who is giving them this consolation? It's the Lord. It's his God. It's the God who loves him. And then he goes on to say, your consolation brought joy to my soul. The graphic picture that this text gives to us is that this Lord who reigns reaches down into this world, reaches down into my life, reaches down into my soul and brings me his consolation. That's what the Bible is saying to people with anxieties great within them. Now the psalmist is full, the psalm brother is full of reminders of what that means. Let's go back through some of the psalm now and see what it says about God. What does it tell me about God and my soul? Well, verse 8 to start with, it tells me that he's a God who knows. Take heed, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? These people are saying, who sees me? Who knows what's going on? The Lord does. Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches man lack knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man. This is all about our thoughts, you see. The Lord knows about them. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows when I'm not thinking. He knows when my thinking is so muddled that I don't know what to do. The Lord knows. That's part of the consolation, isn't it? Nobody knows the trouble I see. The Negro spiritual went. Well, the Lord knows. Then look at verses 12 and 13. It speaks about his law. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. You grant him relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. The law of God is his written word. The psalmist didn't have the whole Bible that we had, but he had the law. He had what was written for Israel as God's word for them. And the word in the Bible is where we get our consolation and our help. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we preach from the Bible. That's why we want to know the Bible. We want to learn about the Bible. Do you know how to find Romans 8.28? Well, do it now. Romans chapter 8. It's in the New Testament. I don't know what page it is in your Bible. Romans chapter 8. Towards the end of the chapter. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All these things are happening to me. All my thoughts are going round. Oh, I'm so confused. I'm so muddled up about it. God is the God whose word gives us this encouragement. Make sure you know where to find that verse. Don't worry how many times you look it up, how many times you read it, how many times you think of it. It's true every day. The Lord is working things out for his people. That's what it means that the Lord reigns. 
That's the significance of having a God who is a sovereign God. Look at verses 14 and 15 now of our chapter. The Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness. All the upright in heart will follow it. Of course the Lord won't reject his people. He's reigning. He's in charge. Yes, the devil is doing terrible things in the world. The more we think about them, the more in despair we are. But the Lord is still in control. That's the meaning of the expression, the Lord reigns, whatever is happening to us. No wonder then. Verses 22 and 23 talk about the the great stability of God's character. The Lord has become my fortress. My God, the rock in whom I will take refuge. What's going to happen to all these people who think they're getting away with it? He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord, our God. That's a lovely expression. The Lord, our God. That's what it means that the Lord reigns. That's what it means when we sing, Reign in me, Lord Jesus. That the Lord is our God and his character is what gives us this great consolation. No wonder we should be learning more about God. We should be taking books away on holiday to read that are not just escapism, but books about the biography of God's people in the past. Things that tell you what kind of God he is. Missionary stories. There's loads of things that we could read. There's a whole library out there if you've ever looked at them. Take some of these things away. What can I learn on my holiday about who God is and what he means to me? That's the consolation that comes from God. But one more thing about God's consolation. You see, we read this psalm not as the Jews first read it in those days. We read this psalm as people with the whole Bible and the New Testament open before us. And the New Testament in Jesus Christ tells us how that consolation comes to my soul. John chapter 14. John speaks about Jesus comforting his disciples. John 14 and verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor. That word also means comforter, consoler, to be with you forever. The wonderful teaching of the New Testament is that this God who reigns is not merely reigning in heaven. He is coming to us in Christ. His Spirit is directing us to the Lord Jesus. The job, the role of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Christ and show us who Christ is and what he's done for us and all that means to us. Because Jesus Christ reigns, 
He is the centre of the universe. Half our problem, with our thoughts being muddled up, is we think of ourselves as being somehow the centre of our universe. No. The Holy Spirit says, Jesus is the king. He is in control. He's the head of the church. He's the Lord of history. He is the ruler of my affairs too. And he's dealt with my anxieties as he's dealt with my sin. And he's pledged himself by his spirit to live in me. The consolation comes from God by his spirit in Christ Jesus. I haven't finished with the text. I want you to see one more thing. This comfort, this consolation, is not what some people call cold comfort. It's warm delight of joy. Your consolation brought joy to my soul. It will be a wonderful thing if God in Jesus Christ could give peace of mind to me when I'm so muddled I don't know what to do. He does more than that. He doesn't just satisfy my soul. He ravishes my soul. He doesn't just quiet it, but he delights it with his presence within us. Your consolation brings God's joy into my soul. Some years ago I visited a friend of mine in hospital in London. She was a retired missionary and uh, she'd had uh, serious surgery for cancer. She was in a ward with a lot of other women with similar situations. When I went to talk to her that day, she said, God gave me a lovely verse this morning, Alan. And she said, it was from Psalm 84. Don't look at it now because it was in the King James Version. It doesn't read the same in the NIV. But what it says is, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. She said, it's not just that the Lord has promised to give me grace to cope with this situation. He's promised to give me glory. The glory of his presence here. The glory that he's got preparing for me for the future. Her face was radiant. And she said, I can tell these women about it. I can tell these others around me. The Lord is not just giving me grace to cope with today. But the glory of his presence. That's what the psalmist means when he says, your consolation brought joy to my soul. I have one last thing to say about this text. It's to remind you that when the text says all our anxieties are within us and all our consolation comes from him, this is never more true than in the anxieties about our sin. You see, when we think about God, when we think about our failure to please him, when we think about the fact that so many times, even though we say the Lord reigns, we've rebelled against him, we have some anxious thoughts. Anxious thoughts 
about judgment. About what verse 23 says. The Lord will repay them for their sins. The Bible says there is a place called hell. And the Bible says when we die, we face the judge. What about those thoughts of our conscience? Of how we haven't done what we ought to do? And the questions of whether I'm good enough to face him. What about the thoughts about what will happen to me when I die? Are we afraid of dying? Does the thought of dying leave us in peace or with more anxious thoughts? Do these things give us uncertain days and sleepless nights? My friends, we shouldn't forget those thoughts. We should face up to them. Though what the Bible says is the reality of our soul relationship with God. But what it also says is that we look away from ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can look to the one who brings this consolation to us from God. He lived the life that we didn't live. A perfect life, acceptable and pleasing to God. He died the death that my sins deserved, so that I don't need to fear the judgment. He gained the victory over death in his resurrection, so the Bible can say to me, I have a consolation now that henceforth is death, but the gate of life immortal. He's praying for me. Even Tonight, verse 14 says, The Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. He hasn't forgotten you tonight. And even if we're not praying for ourselves, he is praying for us. And he's promised to come back. Because he's preparing a place for me. He's preparing a new heaven and a new earth where everything will be right and nothing will be wrong. Where we shall never have any anxious thoughts. And he's promised to give me the comfort, the consolation of his presence here and now. You know, if we've never done so before, we should get out our Bible We should look at Psalm 94 and verse 19 and we should be thinking about these anxious thoughts and asking God to give us the consolation that comes from him in Christ by his spirit. And you know, I can make a promise to you tonight. A promise with the authority of the word of God. Nothing will ever bring more joy to your soul. Nothing will ever bring more joy to your soul.